Welcome. I'm Paul Bishop, your host for this installment of Six Gun Justice Conversations. These are bonus downloads where my co-host Richard Prosher and I get to hang around the virtual Six Gun Justice podcast corral, talking with friends and fellow writers who are also fans of the Western genre. With me today is best-selling author Peter Bramvold, better known to his familiars as plain old Mean Pete. Growing up in North Dakota in the 60s and 70s, when Westerns galloped across the TV set almost every night on almost every channel, Mean Pete became so immersed in the genre, his imagination became a full-time resident. He is the author of over 100 lightning-fast action westerns under his own name and various pseudonyms, and was a recent recipient of the Western Fictioneer's Lifetime Achievement Award. Hey there, buddy. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. I just called you by your dog's name, didn't I? You did. You did. <laughs> People get us confused all the time. There you go. Let's start over again. Hello, friend. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, Paul. How are you? <laughs> Great. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Looks like you're having nice weather there in Minnesota. It's beautiful right now. Very dry, but the weather's nice. We need rain big time. Whereabouts do you live in Minnesota? I live outside of Fergus Falls, out in the middle of nowhere, western Minnesota, a long ways away from the cities. And that's the way you like it? That's the way I like it. You have been writing Westerns for a long time now, over 100, 150, how many? Years? No, not years, <laughs> books. <laughs> I was trying to think of that earlier today, and I just can't remember. I think that I just lost count a long time ago. I've written under so many different pseudonyms. Frank Leslie crept in there for a few years, and then he crept out of it. They came back to my, under my name. I've tried to track all the titles down. I just can't think of it. You've also worked under a lot of house names from time to time. Yeah, I've been. I've written Long Arms under Tabor Evans, and I've written some Ralph Compton titles, and I've written under other pseudonyms. That you house can't talk about because talk about. they would bomb your house and strafe you and chase you around a whole lot. And take Buddy to <laughs> Egypt or something, or probably Kabul and something like that. So, Oh boy, fun times. <laughs> <laughs> your output then has to be three books a year, four books a year? four or five books a year. And that makes you a living as a writer. Yeah. And see, this is important because this is what so many people don't understand is to make a living as a writer. You have got to be writing all the time. Yeah. I know you're very obsessive about it. Almost 2000 words a day in little chunks of about 500 words at a time. Is that right? Exactly. On that scale, you get those three or four books a year finished. Four or five books a year finished. Right. I wouldn't really have to write that many books in a year. I just do it because I am totally obsessed and compulsive about writing. The day doesn't go right for me if I'm not writing. You know, that's true OCD. Have to put words on paper, otherwise you just don't feel right. It's like walking on the cracks on the sidewalk, break your mother's back, that sort of thing. But Peter Bramvold has exploded in the last year or two. That's totally because of Wolfpack. But you've been climbing up the bestseller lists over there. You're selling consistently. You're doing really well. At this point in your career, is that kind of recognition gratifying? It's incredibly gratifying. I can't tell you how my life has changed since I went to Wolfpack. Mike and the whole crew over there, Rachel and Lauren, they have totally changed my life. I was writing a lot of books and I was writing, frankly, a lot of really good books without the sales that I thought I deserved for a lot of years. And it was very frustrating because the bigger publishers just did not know how to sell Westerns. And when the ebook revolution came along, they were totally clueless as to how <laughs> yes. to sell digital. 
But Mike is the wonderkind about how to sell digital. He just knows how to do it. These people knew nothing about selling digital. And now I have more readers than I've probably ever had throughout the entire course of my career. And that's got to be a wonderful feeling because you've put so much work into this. You've learned your craft from the ground up. I read somewhere that you said you can't remember a time when you didn't want to be a writer. No. There wasn't a time you wanted to be a spaceman or a cowboy or an electrician. You've just always wanted to be a writer. I always wanted to be a writer. That's very fortunate, very gratifying. Did you take steps to become a writer? Yes. What did you do? I read a hell of a lot. I guess the first thing I did was really fall in love with good writers as a kid. I guess something I did accidentally right off was fall in love with a bunch of short stories and a fifth grade reader. That reader just made my world explode. It had In Another Country by Ernest Hemingway. It had Beware of the Dog by Roald Dahl. It had All Summer in a Day by Ray Bradbury. And it had Capote's Thanksgiving Memory. God, I love that story. For some reason, they struck me so hard. And somehow I just naturally had the wherewithal to track down other stories because I read the biographies of the writers at the end of the stories, which listed other books of theirs. After school, after I'd finished reading one of those stories, I'd head out to the public library and try to track down more works by those authors. Unfortunately, though, we had such a small public library that about the only thing I could ever find by Ernest Hemingway in there, I think they had a farewell to arms and I was too young, you know, really for that. They had the Golden Apples of the Sun and they had the Martian Chronicles by Bradbury, but I couldn't find anything else. And this was in North Dakota where you were growing up. Yeah, that was in Wapiton, North Dakota. And then I also fell in love with Jim Harrison. I just stumbled across his book, Farmer. I think it was his third book. And I stumbled across it in the new releases section at the Leach Public Library in Wapiton. And I absolutely fell in love with that book. I knew I had to read the rest of his stuff. But up to then, he'd only written three books, Wolf, A False Memoir, Good Day to Die, and Farmer, and then a couple of collections of poetry. I tried to track all of those down in Wapiton. I loved that he was rural, that he lived rural, and he looked like a hick like me. I realized then that, my God, even hicks can write really beautiful novels. I wasn't able to track much down until we moved much later on to Grand Forks, where we had a bigger public library, and we also had the Chester Fritz Library at UND. And there, I could interlibrary loan books. And believe me, I really took advantage of the interlibrary loan system. I tracked down everything that Harrison and Bradbury and Hemingway had written up to them. With Harrison, it was a fact of actually identifying with a writer. When you said farewell to arms at that time was going to be beyond you. Yes. And even some of the stuff in the Martian Chronicles was probably beyond you at that time, or at least you don't get all of it in. But Harrison, being that he was, as you say, a rural writer and you were a rural kid, this gave you a kinship with him that may be different than the other writers? Exactly. That's why he's really my first true literary love. I understand when you were 11 years old, you were sent out to the Rexall drugstore to the spinner rack by your uncle? (laughs) He gave me, I think he gave me a $5 bill and he wanted me to buy us a couple of Westerns. I loved the guy. He was in World War I, and he had friends who were suffering from all the ailments, and he somehow made it out alive. He would come to my grandmother's place. She lived in a trailer court in rugby, and he would visit for two weeks every summer, and I would visit for two weeks every summer. And a lot of times our visits would you know, coincide. His name was Henry Wiltsey. One day I was sitting out in the step with him, and we were both bored. And he said, Pete, go get us a couple of Westerns at Rexall Drug. So I walked into town, and I bought Hondo by Louis L'Amour, and I bought Fort Starvation by Frank Gruber. Couldn't have made better choices. 
he started with Hondo because he was a big Louis L'Amour fan. And I started with Ford Starvation. And I'm telling you, it opened up a whole new world for me. The sights, the sounds, the mystery writing at night under cover of darkness and all that kind of stuff just really appealed to me. As a matter of fact, I think I even liked that book a little bit more than Hondo even. Frank Gruber came out of the pulp magazine era. He wrote a great book about the pulps too. Yeah, Pulp Jungle. I think it was. Yeah, Yeah. it's a fantastic book about that time period. Gruber's one of my favorite Western writers. He introduced me to the Western beyond Louis L'Amour. I came to the Western through Louis L'Amour, like many people do. And Gruber and Frank O'Rourke expanded my world of the Westerns. And once you start, there's a never-ending supply of wonderful Western writers. I discovered Will Henry earlier this year. James Reasoner has done so much to broaden my Western horizons. And he did that early on, 20 years ago, I knew James. I think we were in an email group or one of the very first online groups together. I don't know that I would have progressed to become the writer that I am today if it wasn't for James, because he just threw so many great titles at me. I just read so much more than I probably would have otherwise. And H.A. DeRosa was really big for me. Totally different than Louis L'Amour. It's so much more powerful. The psychological impact of a Western, for me, is really key now. It's not just shooting the bad guys and saving the girl and all that kind of stuff. It's really what goes inside the hero's head. And not only the hero's head, but the secondary characters as well. In a lot of my longer novels, I'll have subplots that involve what I think are very interesting secondary characters. And their whole lives, what's going on and how they're interacting emotionally and psychologically to what you know physically is happening to them. And then how that relates to the hero who rides into their lives. When you read those two Westerns, Hondo and Fort Starvation, had you already been primed for the Western by watching Westerns on TV? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. I was totally addicted to Gunsmoke and Lancer and others. I missed Cheyenne by a few years, but I'm catching up on those now. But for me back then, I wasn't a real huge fan of Bonanza. It was a little bit too saccharine. But I like Gunsmoke and Alias Smith and Jones. I loved Lancer and High Chaparral. I loved High Chaparral. I think Lancer is highly underrated, and apparently so did Quentin Tarantino, who really <laughs> brought it back into the public consciousness in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Lancer is a very psychological Western in its way with a patriarch who really isn't a very nice guy, right. which is so unusual. He's the complete opposite of Lauren Green and Bonanza. Exactly. He's yeah. not a loving father. In fact, <laughs> the two sons hate him, which made for great drama. Yeah, but they came to really form a bond with him. I think High Chaparral was somewhere in the middle of those two. There was the drama, but there wasn't the sacredness of Bonanza either. What was your first Western and what made you decide to sit down and, okay, I'm going to write a Western today? My first Western was Once a Marshal and Wolfpack has republished that entire series. I was living out in Montana. I was teaching on an Indian reservation, the Chippewa Cree Reservation, Rocky Boy Reservation, out in the middle of freaking nowhere, Montana, way up north. My wife and I at the time were living in an old hired hand shack on a working ranch, totally mouse infested. We'd adopted this beautiful dog that looks a lot like Buddy. But I decided there I was going to be a writer. I was cutting my teeth on writing nonfiction articles. I was really learning how to write by writing for newspapers and magazines. I studied newspapers and magazines. I'll tell you one of the sources that I really used to learn how to write was that middle column in the Wall Street Journal. I don't even know if they have that anymore, but I used to study those, cut them out and just study them, read them over and over again. And I thought, that's how you write a really good newspaper article. 
so I got that down first and I wrote about chickadees and I wrote about dogs and I wrote about the Indians and the reservation. I wrote about the ranchers and the bear paws and I sold them all to magazines like Country Journal. I wrote for True West. I wrote about Fort Assiniboine, which is just outside of Haver. Pershing was the commander. And I sent a lot of travel articles to the Great Falls Tribune. That is how I originally learned how to write. And I thought, if I'm going to continue to write, I need to write novels. So I went back to Uncle Hank, sitting on those steps outside my grandmother's trailer, giving me the five bucks to go get a couple of Westerns and how magical that was. Sitting down on the step with Uncle Hank, smelling his home rolled cigarettes and reading these Westerns. And I thought, that's what you got to do. You got to write Westerns. That's what you really love to do. Otherwise, you're going to be teaching for the rest of your life. And I hated it. So I started thinking about Westerns then. I did a lot of hiking in the mountain in the bear paws with my dog. And he and I were hiking alone one day up Baldy Butte, a fairly tall, rugged climb. And it just popped into my head that this would be a great Western movie out here, or a great setting for a Western novel. And I can see it. An aging lawman is following an outlaw who has kidnapped his wife, which is really cliched, but that's how I started. I didn't have the chops to begin writing the novel at that time. I tried, but it was awful. But I kept that idea in my head. Then later, after we left the reservation and moved here to Minnesota and started teaching at the Fergus Falls Community College, I decided I'm going to write that novel. I'm going to take the year and I am going to by God do it. And if I can't do it in a year, then I'll just settle into teaching and that'll be it. So I just did everything I could. I read novels. I read them over and over again. I practically tore them apart and marked them up to see how you do it. And by God, by the end of eight months, I finally had Once a Marshal figured out, but I'd almost lost all of my hair doing it by pulling it out because <laughs> I was so freaking frustrated. My wife was a brilliant editor. She and I met in grad school in Arizona, and she was really great at editing. She would give me the nod or she would shake her head and I would run outside screaming and then I'd come back in because I was so obsessed. I had the obsession. By God, I was going to get it right. You really do need to have that obsession. If it's not good, you can't let it lay there. You have to perfect it. So I would come in. I would stay up late. I would sit at the kitchen table after I graded papers or figured out lessons plans for the next day. And I would write. I would just go over it again and again and rewrite paragraphs and sometimes stay with paragraphs for entire evenings. Now you're talking about your first Western. You were up in the hills with your dog. And I take it dogs have been another constant in your life. Mm -hmm. Have dogs in any way played a part in your writing career? Oh, yeah, big time. What happens is I write around them. They settle me down. When I was out on the farm in Battle Lake, during the winter, we would all park it on the couch. Dogs would be just packed in around me and a cat. It just quieted my mind down. They would sleep and I would write. It made me feel really comfortable and secure, really safe and quiet. And Bud, I don't think I've written a word since he and I got together for the past five years that I haven't felt him on my feet. He lays right at my feet, on my feet, usually, while I'm writing. And that kind of gives me some kind of a grounding feeling. That's fascinating. There are those connections that we can only get from animals. Definitely. You were recently given the Lifetime Achievement Award by the Western Fictioneers. Was that validation of a sort? Oh, God, that was so sweet. That was the best thing that has happened to me in many years. Yeah. I've got it up on the wall. I look at it all the time. Give it a little polish. I love it. Yeah. Something like that shouldn't validate me. I should be able to possess that myself because I've truly enjoyed writing all the books that I've written. And I'm very satisfied with all the books that I've written. And I really don't think that I've written a dud. I'm very proud of them. 
You know, I've never won a Spur Award. I was nominated for a couple, but it was just like a nod to this guy who's been hanging around for a long time. But yeah, having other people, having other writers, especially send you something that was really special. Yeah, this was a very special year for me. Is there a book that you haven't written yet that's on your bucket list? This is a book I want to write at some point. I'm busy with the books that I'm writing right now. This is good. I'm making a living. I'm loving this. But is there a book out there that you really want to write? I would really love to write like a Gil Brewer type noir mystery, but not make it as quite as simple as Gil Brewer did, but really turn it into a hundred thousand word novel that, that has a lot of different characters in it and a lot of sub characters and subplots in it, but still has that 1940s or 1950s backwoods noir feel to it. Because I live in 1940s, 1950s backwoods noir around here with the lakes and then the hills and the autumn leaves changing and all that. I could really see something seedy happening, and I would love to flesh that out a little bit. And another thing I would like to do, I love the horror writer Richard Lehman. Mm -hmm. I'd love to write a horror novel all of Richard Lehman. I love his book, The Cellar, and I love his book, The Island, too. I'd love to write something like that. You read almost as much as you write. Oh, yeah. Is there anything in particular in the last year or so that's really jumped out at you that you would say, I've got to recommend this to everybody I know? The North Water. They made an HBO film of it. The North Water is truly terrific. Other than that, I reread a lot of old stuff. Gosh, I reread Jack London a lot. I reread The Sea Wolf recently, and I just love that book. I love it more every time I read it. And I also reread The Cossacks by Tolstoy. I love the rural, the agrarian descriptions and the hunting and the nature descriptions and all that. I think they really influenced my own writing a lot. Tolstoy's The Cossacks, more than anything, probably, outside of Harrison and some stuff by London, probably really influenced that aspect of my writing. The outdoors, nature. Pete, thanks for being with me today. This has been really a great, fascinating conversation. You and I will talk again soon, friend. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Paul. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out the Six Gun Justice website at sixgunjustice.com for information on prior Six Gun Justice conversations, Six Gun Justice speed listens, and full-length episodes of the Six Gun Justice podcast, along with regularly updated book reviews, articles, and interviews covering all aspects of the Western genre. Until next time, be kind to others, be kind to yourself, and keep your six guns holstered. Adios. We're out of here. Let's ride.